Well, you're still joining us for this uh, interesting conversation we're having in observing the online shopping trends here with this Brawl Property Group podcast that is still coming to you from the Brawl Property headquarters here in Santon. A reminder of the hashtag to use is hashtag progressive property people to be a part of this conversation. Now, Elaine and Malcolm, we really painted a phenomenal picture around uh, online shopping trends in South Africa, how it's moving on to omni-channel and also highlighting how uh, traditional bricks and mortar stores have had to find their way around the online environment and make it cohesive for what we've described as very complex customers. But one company that has actually transitioned in the opposite direction and found phenomenal success, which has left many of us flabbergasted, is Yappy Chef. Now, they've moved from clicks to bricks, which is how it's uh, described within the Brawl online uh, report in terms of moving from being an online store, transitioning into a bricks and mortar company. Andrew Smith, the CEO of Yappy Chef, joins us now. Andrew, great to have you with us. You're from the Republic of Cape Town, but you're joining <laughs> us uh, through the wonders of technology. And I think when many of us uh, think about Yappy Chef as a brand and as a company, uh, it's certainly managed to find phenomenal success in terms of its move and transition into bricks and mortar. I'm reminded of a presentation that you had at the South African Council of Shopping Centers conference in 2019, where you described the growth in revenue in comparison to your bricks and mortar stores, where I, I believe uh, significant targets were met within a month versus what we might have seen within the years of your existence uh, as an online store. Give us some insight into that and paint a broader picture as to uh, how this actually motivated your move uh, from clicks to bricks and uh, the bricks and mortar environment. Yeah, well, um, thank you for the opportunity. I think that I, I can sometimes be provocative in the way that I present the, the numbers and the figures because it seems like the whole world is, is, is saying that the reverse is true, that you have to go online and that's where the future is and that's where all the growth is. And, and I think that that misses some of um, the, the reality of, of what it actually means to sell online versus what it means to sell in, uh, in physical retail, particularly in South Africa. So, you know, we started selling online in Yapship in 2006, so that's nearly 14 years ago. And it was a very slow start. It was Shane and I from my lounge, and you know, nobody had heard of us. And when you, when you launch something online, uh, the, only, the first sale was to Shane's dad because that's, that's <laughs> how things get off the ground. Nobody knows that you exist. Whereas you know, when we open a, a, a physical store, particularly in a, a location like the waterfront, you immediately from day one just benefit from, from thousands of people who walk, walk past. And also you benefit from a credibility. You know, if you a physical store where I can, uh, I, I can see that they're real, I have a sense that if something goes wrong, I'll be able to bring it back tomorrow and get a refund or shout at the manager. You know, there's, there's many aspects of physical retail, which I think is, is too easy to uh, brush all aside and say, you know, people don't want to shop online because they like to touch and feel something. I mean, that, that is an element of it, but I think it's part of a much bigger picture of um, just how difficult it is to convince a customer to uh, to make a decision based on a picture they see on the screen, mm -hmm. uh, to add it to their cart, to navigate the complexity of payment and trying to figure out how they're going to receive uh, the delivery for this item. Uh, online shopping is, is really difficult. So Yappichip did achieve a lot of, or has achieved a lot of success online and built a brand um, that is relatively well known throughout the country and we have a large range and, uh, and, and we do quite well. But I think we realized what we were missing out on by so doggedly sticking to online. Uh, you know, I would meet someone and say, and say, what do you do? And I say, oh, I'm part of Yappy Chef. And I say, oh, that's wonderful. I love Yappy Chef. I, you know, just you guys have got such amazing products and I get your newsletter. Oh, it's wonderful. I say, what have you bought from us? Oh, no, I've, I've never shopped with you. 
Jeez. And, uh, and, and that conversion is actually really, really difficult. And, you know, it made me think about the, um, the digital transformation that we uh, that various industries go through. And if you think about banking, uh, once you've experienced online banking or mobile banking, you never want to set foot in a banking branch again. Uh, it's just such an obviously better experience on every account. Once you've experienced booking your own flat online, you never want to set foot in a travel agent again uh, and sit opposite someone and try and figure out just particularly a domestic flat. Or, you know, once you've sent an email, the idea of, of handwriting a letter and putting it in an envelope and buying a stamp and dropping it off and then hoping it gets there, you never want to do that again. But if you think about e-commerce, once you've bought for the first time online, I still go to the shops. I went to the shops this week. Yeah. And so it's not the same type of digital transformation that I think we've seen in various other categories. And 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 the difference is that it needs to work together um, with, with the physical experience rather than being a complete replacement of the physical experience. There's something important that you alluded to earlier, and that's credibility, right, which uh, enabled uh, the foot traffic coming into your bricks and mortar stores. And it also ties in with data, which Malcolm mentioned earlier on in terms of the collection of information that you've driven from online sales. It almost seems as though your existence for more than a decade on an online platform facilitated your understanding of your customer in order to make your transition into a bricks and mortar store so much easier. How is it that online facilitated the credibility as well as the quality of the data provided in order to understand who your customer is and what they want? Yeah, I think that the, the very nature of um, an online transaction means that customers are a lot more comfortable giving more information to the retailer. You know, if I, if I walk into a, a normal store and I pick up a packet of chips and I hand over my 10 rand note and uh, the shop says, you know, but you need to tell me where you live and how do, how do we get hold of you and, and what's your name? I mean, well, whoa, you know, you don't need any of that from me. Where I think it's very obvious online uh, that customers feel, well, it's, it's, of course I have to give you all of that information. Now. And it's just an inherently more trackable uh, medium to know what people have looked for and what they've searched for and what they ended up buying. So, you know, for us, we, we've, we've had a background, obviously, in technology and, and building technology systems. And that, that became quite a natural progression um, into the, the physical world of much more understanding of data. Um, you know, credibility is an interesting one. And I think that that's, that probably comes a little bit more from how difficult it is to convince someone that you are trustworthy in an online environment, that, uh, you know, to actually have someone um, be willing to make this, this transaction with an entity that they don't know. Uh, there's no opportunity to mess up. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're having to win that customer over. They don't necessarily trust shopping online. They've never uh, heard of Yapishet before. And so all of what we do in the experience that we create, if we mess that up in any way by having a bad delivery or by um, sending the wrong product or by making a mistake with a payment, uh, we, we know we're going to lose that customer forever. And so I think that we, out of a sense of survival over the last 10 years, we've we focus on customer experience, we focus on credibility and a trustworthiness that I think has translated quite well um, as we've, we've now selling through through physical channels. Yeah, but I, but I also think, you know, um, so for, for me it's about um, that conversion rate is critical. So to convert, I need to love a brand. To convert, mm -hmm. I need to want to do something. Um, and I think the physical helps that element just all pull together. Um, so, I mean, Andrew's got a great example in his business where um, I think um, great brand out there 
um, I go online, but did I convert? No, I didn't convert. I looked at it. But then I, you go into the shop and they're so phenomenal that it's a proper retail experience. It's an experience that converts mm -hmm. to sales. And I think that's the, that's, and it, Builds loyalty. Customers are complex human beings. They want to belong. They want to, they want to sh actually provide that loyalty of brand, loyalty of I'm a Mr. Price shopper, or I'm a Yuppie Shep shopper, or I'm a pick and pay shopper. People like that because it's who they are. It forms the complexity of the human being. Yeah. And, and I think that's the transition between the omni channels is you, one can't operate in isolation of the other, I don't believe. Exactly. Mm. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. Elaine, would you like to add? Andrew, I must give you some insight. I was telling Elaine and Malcolm that uh, having visited your store in Cape Town, uh, I actually wanted to become a housewife just uh, <laughs> based on the experience as well as the variety of products that were present there. So that clearly tells you something about the sense of experience, right? Uh, um, adding to what Malcolm has mentioned in terms of building up that trust, converting, uh, con making conversions into additional sales and building up that customer loyalty. So how is it then that, that you find a balance in terms of maintaining that customer experience, not only online, but also in store to make someone like me want to become a housewife. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think that, um, you know, saying earlier how we've, we've really had to work hard to uh, convince people why they should purchase this particular product or why they should, uh, you know, shop with us. And so that just became a natural, I, I think we didn't take for granted uh, that when someone walked into the store, they would just automatically want to buy what we had. And so, you know, potentially a, a level of, of training of, uh, of the team and, and, and across the different products, a, you know, we're really, we've really tried to be specialists in, our own, in the one category that we're at. Um, and, and yeah, I think that we have been, been really focused on attention to detail online and then that did translate through into to physical stores as well but you know there are a couple of other advantages that that we had the one is that you know online there is unlimited shelf space so we were able to grow our range a lot bigger uh, than we would if we were we were limited to stores and because we um, we can service the whole country from a single warehouse. You know, we, we could buy a list of products and have one of them on hand and sell it, sell it anywhere. So our range is a whole lot bigger than what you see in any of our physical stores. And so when we choose what to put into a store, we're selecting from a range that's probably 10 times as big as what you see. Mm. And so I think we really be able to curate in our stores um, what we know are really good products that are going to appeal to our customers, but we can then also customize them. Potentially a, a shopper in Cape Town is going to want something slightly different than a shopper in Joburg. And because we're selecting out of a much bigger range. Uh, I think that it has helped us as well to um, to to create really good uh, store experiences. But that's also the, the data that you've got. I think helps a lot. But the one thing I wanted to ask you is: um, is the product offering? Um, because you've got a very unique and specialised product offering. Has that? Do you, in your opinion, is that the easier transition from because from 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 online to physical because if I think of a, a, a clothing or apparel store I think they might have a more difficult journey in that transition if they did yeah. it that way so it, it, well, it I think it's that it's it's such a good point that you raise that I think we've got to be so careful of making generalizations across retail and you know retail includes engagement rings and uh, beds and uh, cars and and loaves of bread. And sometimes we can put them all under an umbrella thing and create generalizations to say, this works online or this works in the stores. And and, and there are definitely differences. You know, our, our category, which is, uh, which is kitchen, it definitely helped us get online in the first place because customers buy 
brands and they're about brands that they can't always get everywhere else. So even before someone trusted Yuppie Chef, they probably trusted Licorice or KitchenAid stuff because they've seen them everywhere and they know what they're going to get. Whereas that's a little bit tricky in some other categories that are, are they don't necessarily have brands that are as well well known in that sense. So um, there's also a, a sense of our category is uh, is very diverse. There's a, there's a lot that you can have. If you think about everything that's in your kitchen, everything that's in each of the drawers and in the cupboards and how much more you probably still want to buy. So there's an opportunity where e-commerce works in that long tail of, of, of being able to provide people with range. So there's, there's definitely elements that work for us that, that I'm cautious to say, you know, everyone should just do exactly what you have to shift it. That's, that's not the case. Yeah, exactly. We have really benefited from gifting is a big part of our business. Wedding registries are a big part of our business. And, and those things have really suited online well. And, and it, that's a similar thing when we go into stores now to think about, you know, what is particularly about our category and, and not necessarily just copy what everyone else has done. Um, from an omnichannel or physical or an e-commerce point of view. Uh, Andrew, um, you, when when you were uh, in the uh, uh, the click um, sphere, you understood your 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 consumers because I mean you've got all the information where they live, what they want, what their preferences are. Do you find now that you went to the the, the brick um, aspect of of retail that you've lost that um, link with your consumers? And maybe can I say, is it the same consumer coming to your store? So that would be for me interesting. Did you lose them or are they still online? Have they now converted to to Shopaholics? Love your brand. Here yeah. I come. Well, just, um, you know, a couple of things. I, I think that because generally customers shopping with us, it is a bigger basket size. It's something that they, they care about. Um, uh, they want a relationship with us for a while, and so they are they're quite comfortable giving us their details in their store. It's not a quick in and out type of transaction, and so um, you know the majority of customers are, are happy to give us the email address so that their purchase is linked to their overall account. And if they need to come and do a return and something in the future, it's all linked to their account. So I think to, we are fortunate in that way, and so we're able to link a lot of store transactions to a customer's bigger picture with us. And what that um, so to answer what Elaine's question there, you know, we do still have a quite a good sense of who our customers are. And what we've lost in a uh, hard data point of view, we've gained in a human point of view. You know, we can speak to all of our, our sales assistants in the store and say, you know, tell us more about who our customer is and how they make decisions, um, which is very hard online. You know, you can see where someone clicks online, but you can't really follow always their thought process or what they were struggling with or what was confusing. So I think we've, we've, we've lost a little bit in the stores and we've gained, uh, we've gained a whole much, a whole bunch of, of qualitative data around our customers. Um, welcome to answer your question about the, I, I suppose that the cannibalization is the crude version of, of what you're asking. Yeah. How much is stores cannibalized uh, online sales? Because I think that that's a fear for a lot of traditional physical retailers is how much is online going to cannibalize their physical sales? You know, it works in both ways. And and we've definitely seen that. You know, we've seen customers who've never shopped with us before and are now shopping for the first time in our stores. And, and in fact, they've never even heard of us before, so that's great. Uh, you see customers who made their first online purchase with us 10 years ago and are now shopping in one of our stores. And, and the question there is, you know, would they have made that purchase? Would they have shopped online again, but there was just 
there was a convenience or a speed or whatever they happened to be in the in the center and made that purchase online. Um, that's something we haven't done enough digging uh, into to understand. Um, but but we like to think that uh, that it's, it's definitely pushing customers in both directions and just the credibility of you know walking past a store, uh, one of our stores. And then seeing an online ad or reading our newsletter and thinking, you know, actually, I've never shopped online before, but I'm comfortable now because I know that Yappy Chef is an entity that I've seen. That, that's impossible for us to track because we don't know who's walked past the store. But we do have a sense that um, that, that that stores are helping online and, and online is helping the stores. And, and hopefully together uh, it is growing. A question that I want to throw to all of you, really, and, and this pulls up on an example that you were alluding to, Elaine, but some of the learnings that need to be implemented here for pop-up stores. Uh, it's been a growing trend across many malls in South Africa, speaking again to the experience uh, that uh, customers actually want. But this experience regarding omni-channel and the balance uh, around customer centricity, availability of goods and services, what should we be learning here for pop-up stores um, in terms of building sustainability and easier access to customers? You know what, I think Yappi Chef is a good example. You know, you get a smaller um, uh, person that sells online, um, they can use the Yappi Chef example, but they, maybe they can't st start with a shop in the VNI waterfront from the beginning, but they can start with a little pop-up store in a smaller center to see whether it's going to work, okay, and how it's going to integrate with their online shopping. And then from there on, they can expand into bigger, uh, a bigger store, uh, store space. So I think the pop-up concept is a very good concept. Uh, I think it gives people a foot in the door. And, and I've seen, I think um, you see a lot of smaller retailers that started as pop-up stores yeah. that is now a full-fledged full shop. Um, so pop-up stores. Also, I think it's an interesting market. So we, we know there's retail vacancies sitting around. Mm. We know there are people only operating online. So I think the opportunity of space being available and reaching out to uh, someone who's only operating online and say, man, dare a little bit, yeah. come and try this, see if it works, um, without much risk, um, that's the opportunity as well. So I think more and more that is happening. I think there's a lot of reaching out at the moment and it's probably an exciting phase for, for a lot of the online guys as well as for the bricks and mortar guys because we need more depth of retailers. We all know that we need, yes, economical reformance and growth in our economy, sure, but I think we're in a phase where we need to dare, we need to excite ourselves and we need to stay motivated in retail because shoppers need to feel that experience that not online can be great, but I think there's a very relevant place for people to experience retail and the environment of retail as well. And also for young entrepreneurs that's 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 starting out in, yes. in this from an online platform to, to a physical store, um, it's not going to lock them into a three-year contract uh, lease agreement. You know, it, it can be a, a quick in and out. If it doesn't work, okay, let's go back to the drawing board. Uh, you're not sitting in a three-year lease or a five-year lease. You sit in a short-term lease. So. I think it's a very good concept for entrepreneurs. Flexibility. Andrew, your thoughts and suggestions? I'm sure lots of individuals have been asking you questions in terms of what they can learn, uh, new strategies that they can implement. I think that pop-up stores are probably category-specific to an extent. If someone is buying a, a 5,000 rand knife block set to a 10,000 rand coffee machine and then is, well, are you going to be here next week if something goes wrong with it? Whereas, you know, a pop-up store selling socks or sure. some other product which is... Um, you know, a little bit more transient. So, yeah, I, I think that um, from a 
we, we as, a, as a company, had been selling online for many years. And some of the people who worked for our business were uh, had some background in, you know, in other retailers. But it was a big step signing that first lease and, and you know, putting down the – and even understanding the everything that was involved and what we were committing to. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think that we were, in a, we were relatively established. We had access to – you know, some legal advice and uh, and some some people in our business knew what was going on. And even for us, it was a huge step. So I kind of picture someone else who's who's wanting to get into this this physical retail thing, uh, and 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 a, and a pop up would be a, a pop up store lease would be less onerous in that sense. But I also think that the industry, um, you know, retailers and uh, and landlords have got to kind of get together and figure out if we want a new wave of tenants in our malls in particular, because that is the way that South African retail works. How can we actually support that? You know, what what kind of support services can we do? Because I think too often you've got two people sitting on opposite sides of the table feeling like they're fighting uh, for themselves as opposed to working together um, to overcome what's quite a big hurdle. And we know that there's a lot of space that's becoming available in malls. And so there's an opportunity now to say, uh, as as a collective industry, um, and that's where something like the South African Council of Shopping Centres, which is does represent landlords and tenants, to say what can we do together to to help some people get over that uh, that really what is quite a big hurdle um, in order to get into physical space. Yeah, I can imagine for all of you here on the table and um, uh, having sleepless nights, especially if you take a look at the weak economic environment. We've just come out of the festive season, which was not very festive in terms of retail sales. Uh, also understanding the economic climate that we're in, expectations of a downgrade, markets in decline, coronavirus. I can go on and on in terms of the negativity, right, which is impacted on consumer sales. But what does that spell then for the future of online of bricks and mortar sales, sales as well as this omni-channel environment that we're moving into. So 2020, what are your expectations as we draw uh, concluding remarks in terms of how retailers and shopping centers need to continue to drive uh, an omni-channel experience for their customers? Let's start with you, Andrew. Then we'll come back this side to get some uh, feedback from Elaine and Malcolm. Yeah, I, I think that winning this year in 2020 will just will be surviving. I think if uh, if we if we make it through, particularly with this virus, as we see now, you know, Italy is to shut down all retail except for grocery and and medicine. And and I, I don't know, I I can't even begin to think what that would do to to many retailers here in South Africa. If we had a period where where it was closed, you know, how many how many retailers that were already struggling and already in a tough position are going to be able to survive paying rentals or paying their staff um, if if their stores are closed for a number of weeks or however long it might be? And and we might we might have that in store. So this year, I think if we can get it through, if all of us can get through to the end of the year and still be in the game, um, and and <laughs> then that's a win. We mustn't um, we mustn't pretend like uh, it's. It's, there aren't going to be some some really difficult problems. I think with online, we've got to realize that we're not creating any new uh, turnover, really, as, as an entire industry. It's not suddenly like um, if online is growing at 20% or whatever percent it might be, that is coming from somewhere else because we know that overall retail spend in South Africa is not growing at that rate. And so, unfortunately, it is a little bit of a zero-sum game, um, and it is a bit of a uh, kind of taking from one channel and instead of adding to it. And so as retailers, and, and I suppose as landlords, to, to to be realistic about that and be ris- realistic about what online can do um, and not get left behind, but not think that this is going to solve all of our problems because we didn't magically create yeah. a bigger economy when we opened up online stores. No, I, I, I totally agree with Andrew there. Um, uh, it's going to be basically a, a survival. Yeah. 
Um, from a research point of view, it's very exciting because <laughs> every day is a different, something different happens. Um, I mean, I follow the international markets as well. I mean, it is, it's frightful the amount of stores that close. Mm. And I mean, it is not babies, it's um, um, Macy's, you know, Debenhams is, is in trouble. It's big stores. Um, and and um, to see how this is going to influence the smaller, the, the, the ones that's on the level of, of, of closing down. Yeah. I mean, if they can survive, that they can survive anything. Um, and then once again is it's not going to be focusing on, on brick and mortar or, or, or um, online shopping. It's going to be how you integrate it. And that's going to be the survival. Sure. Yeah, I think we all need to take a deep, deep breath. Are you worried about um, rentals? That's what I should be asking you, Malcolm. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I think economic reality is going to prevail, mm-hmm. and that is survival, as as Andrew said. But I think the reality is a rebasing, rechecking of where we are, more partnerships, working together, making sure we all get to the other side of this journey, because it is a tough journey. It's a tough time for our country. It's a tough time for the retailers. Um, uh, who expected Corona? No exactly. one. Um, so you know, you you that on top of and you lay that on top of a economy that is not performing, uh, retail sales that are static. Um, you you have an interesting dynamic: escalated rentals, um, operating costs that are increasing. So you you a consumer that a household's possibly got one person retrenched with. So so you, it's it's a it's an extremely dynamic bag of elements of things that are moving all the time. And I think the only thing we can do is. In times like this, people move closer together uh, to survive, and I think that's what it is. It's about working together, working cleverly, working smarter, um, and actually having the long-term goal of making sure that we have a great retail environment when we're done through the cycle, because this too will pass. Indeed it will. I think this is a perfect time for for people that these opportunities. I, I believe there's a lot of opportunities outside there. Um, I mean, you look at the China, China factories that's closed. Um, is that creating an opportunity? Yeah. I think this is a time for the young entrepreneurs to say, okay, this is our time to spark. Look, a spark and cast a light yes. and power yes. to support manufacturing yes. and online sales. That's right. And <laughs> see, it's all interlinked. Exactly. Sorry, I don't want to say provided your laptop is charged. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> An inside joke there for everyone here at the table. But thank you so much to all three of you for uh, sharing some of the knowledge that you have with us in terms of understanding the online retail environment. And I guess one thing that's certainly been made very clear is that it's not about one or the other, but really incorporating both in terms of an omni-channel that speaks to customer centricity ensuring that you meet the customer's needs, retailers being agile and flexible enough as well to respond to the changing dynamics, and most importantly, also ensuring that there's a sense of unity uh, within the sector at large. Thank you so much to Malcolm Horn, the group CEO of Royal Property Group. Not forgetting Elaine as well, Elaine Wilson, who is uh, the Director of Property Intel at Royal Property Group, and of course, Andrew Smith, the CEO of Yuppie Chef. Hopefully, we'll be getting a nice gift No one's getting married, (laughs) but maybe, you know, just in support of the economy there, Andrew, pulling your leg. Thank you so much. And of course, you for watching and listening online uh, to this uh, first episode of uh, Brawl Property Group podcast series. We will continue sharing amazing insight with you in terms of the developments in South Africa's retail environment. Again, use the hashtag Progressive Property People. Until next time, have a wonderful day.